Hear your favorite NFL legends sharing their stories and insights every week right here on Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari. Take it away, guys. Break the door is locked. There's no way out. All right, now back in making his 12th appearance with us here on Thursday Night Tailgate, a Steelers legend, one of our all-time favorite guests, and a member of our 2014 Thursday Night Tailgate Guest Hall of Fame class, Rocky Blyer. Let me remind you about Rock's background. He's from Appleton, Wisconsin. At Xavier High School, he starred in football and basketball. He was a three-time All-State selection at running back and won all-conference honors at linebacker and defensive back. Played his college ball at Notre Dame, where he helped them win the 1966 National Championship, and he was named team captain in 67. He was a 16th round draft choice by the Pittsburgh Steelers in 1968. During his rookie year, he was drafted into the Army to go fight over in Vietnam. He was awarded the Bronze Star and Purple Heart for being injured in the line of duty. Rejoined the Steelers in 71. And he spent the next two years working on trying to walk again and get his roster spot back. He was waived twice during that time. Came back and ultimately was a part of all four Steelers Super Bowl championship teams in the 70s. Retired after the 1980 season. And over the course of his career, he rushed for nearly 3,900 yards and added another 1,300 yards receiving. Scored 25 touchdowns and averaged 4.2 yards per carry. Rocky's been a great friend for a long time. He was the second guest ever on the show way back in September of 2011. And we're honored he is back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Rock, Chris and Bob, thanks hey, for Rock. coming back on the show. Gentlemen, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Always do your show. So uh, what a great interview. I enjoyed the part I caught with uh, um, uh, Coach uh, Reno and uh, to, uh, what a wonderful job he's done at Yale. Rock, I want to start our time with you tonight. I'm curious to get your thoughts. I mean, here, you know, Super Bowl time is a, uh, obviously a time where we are all a Steelers nation remembers the, the four Super Bowls you were in. It's a time that we get to reminisce and see the highlights of those games. Is this a, is this a good time for you or, or you sometimes guys like us ask you the, the same question? Boy, if I have to answer that question one more time, I'm going to go. <laughs> no, not at all. I, uh, you know, I, I appreciate I, I, the time, you know, and being able to talk about Super Bowls, uh, and, uh, reflect back on those years in the seventies, but, you know, also reflect on those years since then all the way through and how important the Super Bowl is to those teams that are participating um, in that game. And, you know, sometimes to us fans, we become hardened because we are, uh, we're, we're, we're strong regional or, or you got your favorite team. You're disappointed because they're not there, you know, and the Super Bowl is just another game um, and so on. But when you look at, when you look at what the two teams who are participating have to do to be able to get there and, uh, and the schedule that they have to go through and then, and then, and then start playing the playoff and going through that process. You know, what happens is that we get two teams, uh, that have deserved to be there, uh, whether you like them or not, or care about them or, or not, but they have survived the season. They put together a game plan offensively and defensively. They executed it, uh, big plays, stupid plays, lucky plays, whatever it may be, but they are there. And so when you come to this point, it's fun to talk about the history 
of uh, of uh, of the game and the Super Bowls, how it's changed over the years, um, and uh, and uh, what it means uh, to be not only involved in it, but what it means to a city, a region, a fan base, uh, no matter what that uh, whatever team you may root for. So I'm always excited about this week, anyway, of of uh, getting ready for the Super Bowl. Brock, as much as people want to say that the last two Super Bowls are the first times that a, a team has had home field advantage in that game, when you guys played the Rams in Super Bowl fourteen, when you played the game in the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, which was about 30 minutes from the L.A. Coliseum where the Rams played their home games, was it like a home game for them, or did Steeler Nation show out and really make you guys feel like uh, it was on a neutral site? Well, you know, I... I yeah, of course it was a home game for them. And, um, you know, it was easy to uh, have access, uh, to, <laughs> there's a couple things. It was easy to have access, uh, because the fans that were out there, the majority of fans, even though, you know, we had a, a quote, our Steeler Nation and so on, uh, that did show up. But, uh, when it's a, when it is your home area or hometown, those fans are, it's easier for them to go to the game. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so they will show up for the game. So, yeah. So in that case, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that home field advantage, uh, makes a difference, uh, because you still got to go out and play the game and execute the game, you know, but you get a, maybe you get a, a bigger, uh, home, uh, based feeling, uh, from your fan that will come to the game, uh, unlike if it's away. Rock in that game. The Rams had three former Steeler assistant coaches on their staff, including defensive coordinator Bud Carson. Were you guys concerned at all because Bud knew your offense so well? Oh, I, oh, it's kind of kind of interesting. I, I, I mean, really, I no, there wasn't a concern, or at least not that we as players had. You know, so yeah, so we, you're right. We had the three former players, I mean, coaches that were there. Um, as you were saying, Bud Carson was our, our defensive, uh, uh, coordinator, uh, when he was, uh, with the Steelers. Now he's out there. Um, uh, our offensive line coach, uh, was out there and, um, I, I, I forget the receivers coach, I think was, was out there as well. Anyway, so, but what, you know, ultimately, ultimately in, in the game, and let's just know this is that you know enough about that opponent. You see enough field, a film. You, you know their tendencies. Uh, you know what they do. And especially with the information that we have today, you know, everybody has statistics on down and distance and what a team's going to do. So it all boils down uh, execution. And maybe something you might pick up in, uh, in, in a defensive scheme or how a player plays a specific uh, down or distance or, or formation that might give you a, uh, an, an added advantage. Yeah. And you may take care of that. But, you know, in, 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 in overall, it's, it, it, you're pretty well informed, um, going into this game of who's, uh, what they do and, uh, uh, and what to look out for. Rock, a couple of weeks prior in the AFC championship game against Houston, you guys dominate them. You win 34 to five, but it snowed a lot that week. 
And from the highlights I've seen, the, the AstroTurf at Three Rivers Stadium was saturated with water. You guys are skidding all over the place with the water pooling up on the AstroTurf. The, the temperature was in the upper 20s. That just had to be miserable. What was it like trying to get through that game? <laughs> it was miserable. I mean, it was terrible. Oh, my goodness gracious. And the, as you were saying, the weather was about, it was about 30, 30 degrees out. So it was right below, oh, you know, and it was wet. And, and, and so by the time I can remember, you know, so you, you, you hit the turf and, and you're, in, and you're wet and you're just soaking wet and it just seeps into your body. And, you know, and you, you go to the sidelines and you can't dry off. You can't, you know, you, <laughs> you can't get comfortable. Uh, and, oh, um, and, and then you go in at halftime. And, and you, you change your clothes. I mean, change everything. Uh, and then you go out in the, the field again and you hit the turf and you're back freezing. So I have to tell you a story about that specifically only because of the fact that I was one of those people that were, that were cold. I mean, oh my goodness gracious. And in the third quarter of that game, the third quarter, I was off on the side. Now, as I remember, we didn't have heaters like they had today. As a matter of fact, I think we had a um, 55-gallon uh, 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 drum burning wood inside on the sideline. And I, stand, I remember standing over trying to get warm, and I was shivering, shaking. And uh, Jerry Mullins, our office guard, comes over to me and says, are you okay? And, I, 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 and I'm going much like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And he says, you sure? I yeah, 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 yeah. He said, I'm going to go get the doctor. He said, no, 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 don't get the doctor. So he goes over and he gets our, our physician. He comes over and the doctor looks at me and he goes, oh man, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to send you in. Cause we had a big lead as you had mentioned in this game. He said, I'm going to have to send, I'm going to send you in. I said, no, I, I, I'm fine. You know, I mean, out, outwardly I'm going, I'm declining. Inwardly I'm going, please, please send me in so I can warm up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so he goes, now we're going to send you in. We're going to send you in. I said, okay. He said, because he said, we said, I, I, I don't want you to get sick. I mean, we, we got this game taken. We got a game next week. I don't want you to get pneumonia, you know, and I'm going to send you in. I said, okay, fine. So we're walking off the field. We're walking off the field. He said, I, I'm going to have to tell Chuck. And I'm saying to myself, no, 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 no. Don't tell Chuck. Don't tell Chuck. Send him. Yeah. Let's just go in. He said, I have to tell Chuck. I said, okay, fine. And I'm just far enough away. He's standing on the sideline looking on the field. And Doc goes up to him. He said, uh, he said, uh, Chuck, he said, I'm sending Blyer in. He goes, why? And the good doctor goes, he's cold. Chuck <laughs> said, cold? Gee, good. We're all cold. God dang it. Blah, 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 blah. All right, send him in. <laughs> so anyway, so I go in. Oh man, I get out of my clothes, I go to the shower, I soak, then I got clean clothes on and I'm waiting for it, you know, so I got a whole nother quarter, you know, and I'm sitting in front of my locker, <laughs> sitting in front of my locker, having a, having a beer, you know, as we're coming in. Afterwards, I'm all dressed, I feel good about this. So anyway, so yeah, so it, that was a cold, cold playoff game. <laughs> Bob questions for Rock? Always great to speak with you, Rock. And, and you know, I I think we all associate with those old Steeler teams with Three River Stadium. But when you got to the league in '68, uh, you were playing at Pitt Stadium, 
Um, which is kind of strange for, for NFL fans to try to remember back that far. But your memories of just that one year playing there, Rock, uh, about the stadium and fans in general. Well, so, you know, it was, it was, it, it was, uh, it, it was the, you know, it was the university stadium and we right. played there. Um, and so, you know, we used their, we didn't practice there at all. We used their locker room, obviously. Uh, you know, so it was, it was a stadium. Um, you know, I mean, a large crowd was, well, maybe 25,000 people <laughs> during that yeah. period of time. The Steelers only won two games that season. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so, you know, as a, as a rookie, you're, you're just playing, you're there, the stadium's a stadium, um, and, uh, and, uh, it, it, it was just, you know, part of that, it, it, part of that experience. And so, uh, eventually Chuck Noll comes in by 1970, they build Three River Stadium, and we move into this brand new stadium, um, uh, in 1970, uh, for the first for the first time, which was a great great new stadium, but now it was turf, it was astroturf, in yeah. a field, which was something new, and uh, and uh, in the direction that the NFL was going, or new stadiums were going at that time, but it was it was like a carpet laid on cement. That's what it was. that had its own problems in 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 your body and in the in the Injuries that you had sustained, you know, trying to cut on astroturf, you know, you just didn't have the ground to give give way and so on. So, so um, that was that was big experience difference. And Rock, when I think of those teams of the seventies, as as great as all the players and everything, when I think back in those days, I think of the Steeler fans and especially like the rabbit Jarella's Gorillas and Franco's <laughs> Italian Army. Did, were you guys? Like aware of what was going on in the stand, did you feed off this stuff? Because even as a neutral guy, I mean, I would just go crazy watching it. It was terrific. <laughs> you know, well, it was, and, and you're right. I mean, it was for for the Steeler fans that suffered. You know, for 40 years of the losingest team in the NFL, uh, and it, you know, it was like attached. You know, so winning teams. <laughs> No matter what you, you, you identify with or attached to, you know, it was like, oh, the same old Steelers. It was like Pittsburgh. The image of Pittsburgh outside of those people who lived here, you know, was steel mills, darkened skies, dusty, you know, who would want to live in Pittsburgh? At least that was the image or the thought process thereafter. They had losing teams in football. Uh, and, uh, and so that, that kind of, that kind of covered it all. So when all of a sudden in the 70s and we start to change and Chuck comes in, you know, and by 1972, the first time in the history of that franchise in 40 years did we win the division and have a, you know, play. And so all of a sudden it, it, it people became interested, you know, and it started to reflect. And so they started to win no matter what their job was in the mill um, uh, or, or wherever they worked. You know, they may be beat up, but ultimately outside, it was, well, the Steelers, you know? Yeah, so now, and the Pirates were coming along at the same time uh, in the early part of the 70s and winning games and, you know, and, uh, and, and going to the World Series. So all of, all of it came together so that the, the fan base 
you know, started to just be drawn to their, their teams. And so you became Steelers fans. And then we had uh, Myron Culp was an announcer. And so then all of a sudden, Franco Harrison, the immaculate reception took place. And then the creation of the terrible towel came out. And so then people, you know, started to really embrace what what the Steelers were all about and the team. And then the fan club started, as you were saying. So we had Bradshaw's Blonde Bombers, Lambert, Lunatic, Jack Ham's, Dobra, Shunkas, um, and, uh, and, uh, and Lambert's, well, I said Lambert's Lunatics. <laughs> and, and you know what I got? I got Rocky's Flying Squirrel. But anyways. <laughs> At least I got something turned out. <laughs> but but that but all of a sudden it it, it it became then then what took place in the in 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 the in in the seventies was that the steel industry started to crumble um, and uh, and it was closing and jobs um, were being uh, um, cut out uh, and people were out of work and all of a sudden they moved. Uh, and they and they had to find places, and so they they moved out of the western Pennsylvania Pittsburgh area and went down to the Carolinas, and went down to Florida, went down to the south, went every place. But one thing they they took with them was their loyalty to the team, and so the Steeler fan base expanded, um, you know, throughout this country, California, uh, West Coast, you know, the. Midwest, down to the southeast, and so on. So that <laughs> when we traveled, a lot of times, you know, a home game for us on the road um, that uh, all the Steeler fans got a chance to come, you know, to see their team play. So that was an exciting part of that uh, whole transition that uh, that had taken place throughout the 70s. Brock, did you guys get to celebrate? Those Super Bowl wins, I mean, Chuck not being the rah-rah coach and doesn't seem like a celebratory kind of guy, were you guys able to celebrate in the locker room or afterwards, or was it more business mm-hmm. because winning the Super Bowl is what no. you were expected to do? <laughs> no, no, they had, you know, they had, they had uh, the organization, you know, had a, uh, a party after the game, you know, of Prearranged, um, so that the players and their families, um, uh, it could come and be a part of that celebration, uh, that evening after the game. And so, uh, they'd have food and music. And, uh, so they, so the ownership did, did a wonderful job, you know, of being able to help celebrate those things in the locker room, you know, right afterwards, of course, a big celebration and, and unlike today, where there's cameras all over and, 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 and cell phones and so on, it, it was a little more quiet at that time. Uh, even though we had, uh, you know, we we didn't have, we couldn't afford champagne, so we didn't have a lot of champagne that was <laughs> being spread all around. You know, so, but anyway, but anyway, yeah, we did. We did have a, you know, we did have a, we did have a party afterwards. So that was. Uh, what it was, it was fun to be able to share that with, uh, you know, with your family that uh, that everybody would come to. Rocky, just like every Steeler fan, my favorite Rocky Blyer memory is the touchdown that that you caught near halftime at Super Bowl Thirteen. Um, really propelled the team 
into the second half and onto that victory. Talk about that play, and was it designed to come to you? <laughs> well, uh, well, yeah. So all of a sudden, as you may, uh, it, well, it just set that play up for your listeners out there. Um, the score was tied, uh, fourteen to fourteen, and we uh, we intercepted the ball and and got the ball back, and then we moved it down uh, right before the half. It was, we were down on the seven yard line. And it was a third and one situation. And the play that had been called was a um, quick pass play. So let me just kind of set it up, if I if I may, uh, to your uh, listeners out there. So as we broke the huddle, walking up to the line of scrimmage, Bradshaw is behind the center. Franco Harris is behind uh, Bradshaw. I am to the right of uh, Franco. The play was a quick pass, play-action play, where I would go at a 45-degree angle down to the line of scrimmage. I would cut down the line of scrimmage at another 45-degree angle, catch the ball over my shoulder, take a 90-degree turn up the field to pick up one or two yards, uh, depending on how the Cowboys would react. And, of course, they always reacted well. Well, when the ball was snapped, None of that happened. I did break out of my stance, but my opponent jumped across the line of scrimmage and took my path away from me. So the best I could do was cut it short, and I took that 90-degree turn up the field. Bradshaw faked to Franco Harrison's the line of scrimmage, and when he pulled the ball out, looking for the receiver, myself, down the line of scrimmage, and when he did not box, well, being a smart, intelligent quarterback that we perceived him to be, it finally dawned on him that it might be a broken play. So he tucked the ball underneath his arm, scrambled to the right. Sideline was looming up, opposite side, larger than life, Neanderthal beans with lobotomies chasing him down. And then it happened. <laughs> Maybe once in a lifetime will you ever experience. But all of a sudden, across the field, our eyes met. 30 yards separating us. And he released the ball. Maybe a little too, maybe a little too high. And it came floating into the end zone. It came floating into the end zone. I leaped all five foot, nine and a half inches of me with all my might right up in the air as high as I could go. I don't know. 18, 19, 20 feet. I cannot forget <laughs> after all these years, but I caught the ball, came down across the goal line to give us a score and a lead. And of course, a lead we had never relinquished. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's my favorite play. Now I'm going to put things in the right perspective for you. So that so that play changed the course of direction, and uh, ultimately we go on and win the game. Some yeah, it, it was not but two three weeks ago. You know, I was coming across some statistics of Super Bowl games, and I thought, oh, let me take a look. Let me, you know, because you kind of forget what you did in a game. You know, play on it every on every play basis. So I went back through my statistics in that game. <laughs> this is what I found out. In that game, I carried the ball twice and gained one yard. I caught one pass, and I recovered one onside kick. But because of that stellar <laughs> play of mine, <laughs> I make the cover for silly. <laughs> so the lesson word, it's not how much you do, it's what you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
never know what's going to happen, like this Super Bowl coming up. You know, big plays may take place. Something, you know, will happen that'll, you know, that uh, will go down. Somebody's going to make the cover of Sports Illustrated for some spectacular play that they make that uh, that uh, gets them to win the game or something. And so uh, <laughs> and so we'll have to wait and see what that might be. Brock, just a couple more before we let you go. and. Um... You've probably seen uh, HBO did a documentary about Terry Bradshaw and the title of it called Going Deep, which is what Terry loved to do. He loved to throw it deep. He talks about how he didn't like little five-yard passes. And I know we've talked to Andy Russell in the past, and Andy told the story about how in practice you'd be going out for a little swing pass or a screen pass, and Brad, you might be 15 feet from Bradshaw, but he'd throw it 100 miles an hour because he never wanted Chuck to think that he could throw a little short pass so that he could throw it deep. Does that sound right? Yeah, well, no, that's right. You're right. I mean, he threw every, he, I, I, he threw every ball the same speed, you know, whether you're 10 yards from him, you know, or 50 yards from him. And so if you're 10 yards from him, holy mech, you better catch that ball. Because if it hits you, it knock you over. I mean, it was like being <laughs> old. It was right. Um, but uh, but that's the way Terry was. I mean, Terry wanted to go downfield. You know, he wanted to. He, he wanted to make you know big plays. And so us back, you know, on on uh, that outlet pass off to the side, or uh, or a little uh, seven yard curl around. It, 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 the only way you're going to get the ball is. Everybody, every other receiver out there fell down. <laughs> if they fell down, then you might get it. <laughs> go deep. That was it. Go deep. Go deep. <laughs> Great. Bob, one more for Rock before we let him go? Yeah, Rock, you played with, with so many Hall of Famers. But let's just hone in on one you mentioned already, Franco Harris. You were there before he got there. You know, he came out and he was a big guy, quick feet, but not every guy with big, a big guy with quick feet gets to the Hall of Fame and everything. Talk, tell more, tell our listeners more about, uh, the reasons why he's in Canton and what made him so good at the pro level. You know, the, I mean, the interesting thing is to, to understand Franco. Yes, he was big. I mean, at that time for us. So, I mean, he was 200. 225, 230 pounds, right around in there, six foot three. Uh, and he had, um, and he had great acceleration. You know, uh, uh, Franco was also kind of a guy, if you see it, is that, you know, he would, he would kind of look and pick his spots. You know, he would kind of like run into the line, feel it much like the players do today. Mm-hmm. You know, as you look at that tailback, coming in the backfield, you know, he'll kind of just kind of dance around and, you know, then all of a sudden you'll pick a hole or you see a hole somewhere off the left side or to the right side, and then he'll break. Well, Franco did that way back when. And, you know, so <laughs> and so it was kind of foreign to me, you know, because I'm an A to B guy, you know. It's like, oh, hit the hole as hard as you can, as fast as you can, um, and, and, and you'll be able to pick up some some yardage, you know, but, but Franco as a rookie, you know, would come. There's two things that uh, I remember. He would come and he'd come up to the line and he'd dance around the line. And before he, you know, broke one through 
through the hole. And so, you know, so I asked him one time, you know, why, what, what's all this dancing about? You know, and he said, because the hole's not always going to be there. Things change. And so you're going to have to kind of have a uh, periphery vision of what's taking place. And so, you know, that was his, that was, that was his methodology. That's how he saw things and that's how he ran. Second thing is that he always 40 yards down. Every time he carried the ball, 40 yards down the field. Every time he carried the ball. Every time he carried the ball. Every, so sometimes it was like, Jesus, Franco, hurry up, you know, <laughs> you know, taking forever. Let's get through this process. But anyway, um, that will, that became part of just his standard. So that, you know, uh, like the immaculate reception. And he was always taught to break to, you know, we're, we're always taught to break to the ball, break to the ball, break to the ball. If there's a pass that takes place, because you never know. So in the combination of, 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 of Franco's, of picking spots and of being able to accelerate at great speed, uh, and finding that hole. And then also just the mentality of running 40 yards, 40 yards, 40 yards. You know, he becomes our all-time, you know, leading rusher, um, uh, thousand-yard rusher from his rookie year, um, all the way through, uh, and then ultimately the the plays that he made in between, um, you know, got him into the Hall of Fame. But a lot of it was his own, you know, his own his own mindset on how a running back should be and how he needs to look and view at, uh, uh, at, at his position um, and his ability as a big guy to have a, a, a burst and an acceleration uh, coming out of his uh, coming out of his stance or his break. Uh, and all of a sudden, boom, in a higher level, much like you see, you know, young players today um, uh, have that kind of uh, speed. So, you know, that's uh, that that was his strength. That's what he did. And we, and we Took advantage of it. Advantage of it. Uh, so now, now he was not a great blocker. Okay, he, <laughs> if you have him, he was not a great blocker. But that's okay. We'll let. Him. So they had to find somebody who was a good blocker. So that's how I got a chance to be able to backfield. Rock, we got to get your pick for the game. Are you um, you pulling for the Bengals? Or uh, or you uh, or you going Rams? You know, you, you know, it's one of the things that you you know. And I'm looking at I'm you know you look at the you look at this game and 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 I look at this game and I'm 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 going I'm not taking anything away from the Bengals or the Rams you know but it's from you know from maybe a fan perspective is that mm, it didn't it, it didn't pan to be an exciting game you know I mean you got don't know much about the Rams you know and then you got the Bengals. Or the bungles, or whatever you want to call it, you know. And and, 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 and the, you know, so I, 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 what I what I wanted to say is, you know, it's not like um, it, it was not like the Bills or the Kansas City game, it, you know, um, and or some of the other games that you know had some some people characters, you know, that you're kind of rooting for, even though you might not be them anyway. But the biggest thing about this game is that. Here's two teams that deserve to be there because they went through the process. I mean, they got through the process and they won the games they needed to win to be able to do there. Um, and maybe, maybe not as glitzy as you might have 
want it, but they're a good fundamental team. So as I look at, I mean, the, we look at the Bengals, uh, is that, I mean, this is their third time ever in the Super Bowl. Their last time was, what, 1988, I think, that the, the Bengals. And so there's a part of me that wants, you know, like the underdog, you know, geez, I hope just because of that experience um, for your fan base, you know, to be able to come back with a, uh, with a win. Can you do that? Well, they got a couple of things that they have to do, which one is shore up that pass protection that has been, uh, uh, hanging over them, um, and, uh, been a, a thorn in their side. So that is, you know, that is it. Give Joe Burroughs the, the chance to be able to do the things that he do. They question the offensive line. So we have to see whether or not they, they can pick, you know, pick up uh, the, uh, Rams uh, defense and the Rams got a great defense. And I've always thought this, that the, the, the road to the Super Bowl, especially the win goes through your defense. Yeah. The team that has defense all the way through is the one that ultimately is, you know, is, is going to win. So given that case is that, you know, the Rams are four point favorite. I think they have a, a, a they have at least shown, uh, um, Stronger defense, better defense, great defensive rush uh, 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 than the Bengals have, um, and so I, I'm, I'm I'm taking the Rams in, in this game um, with their four points. So I I think that they um, they'll be able to be, but but anything can happen. That's why they play the game, you know, isn't it? Indeed, that? you know. So there it's, is, uh, yep. you know, you got to go out there and you got to play the game. You can't fold like some teams folded in the, in the, in, in, you know, in the, in the playoff games. You know, you go, all right, how can you, I mean, you, you, for instance, I mean, not to, not point the finger, but you go, but Packers, how can you, how can you fold? I mean, how can you go and play a game like they did and lose, you know, given the record that they had and the, and the people? But it happened, you know, but it happened. And it happens in Super Bowls as well. So we'll we'll see. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, to a good game. See how uh, the Bengals uh, adapt to the Rams' uh, defense um, and what they will do to offset that. And see if they can get it going. And uh, and so it's it, it, it it'll it'll just it'll be an interesting game from that perspective. Rock, we can't do a segment with you without giving a shout out to our good friend Gretchen Birnbaum. At G Money on Twitter, folks. But we we can't we can't let the the time go by with you without uh, saying hello to Gretchen. Okay, well, I, well, okay. So thank you very much uh, because now she'll want uh, she'll want more stuff. <laughs> <laughs> she'll hear this and she'll go, "Oh my God!" <laughs> so, anyway, so thanks for that shout out, Joe. She'll enjoy it. I'll All check. Right, I'll sure. check in. Correct. <laughs> Rock, let our listeners know how we can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's on your website or it's on social media. That's uh, yeah, you, you can do either way, on the website or on social media. It goes social media. Gretchen does a great job in <laughs> taking care of me <laughs> and making sure that gets out there. <laughs> well, Rock, we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. You're absolutely one of our all-time favorites. Going all the way back to 2011, you've been great. Wow, with, uh, wow. With coming on the show. My goodness, 
Thank you guys for having me. It's been a pleasure. Always will. Always so, an honor. Thank you, Mr. Bob. Oh, let me ask you, what are you guys, who are you guys for? Well, as a Pittsburgher, there's no way I'm rooting for Cincinnati, Rock. I, I'm all in on, I'm all in on, on the Rams. I can't, I can't go, I can't go Bengal. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. All right. That's fine. I understand. <laughs> Rock, take care, my friend. Stay, stay safe. All the best to you and your family. We look forward to catching up with you again soon. Talk soon, Rock. You guys, uh, you guys as well. Thanks, Chris and Bob. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks Rock. Good night. Take care. That's a great Rocky Blyer, boy. And it's just, you know, one of the great things about having Rock on the show, Bob, is not only do you get great stories, but it's, you know, it's the fun and the laughter and everything else that comes along with it. It just, it makes, it makes this segment so much fun. Yeah, it's a tremendous personality, Chris. And, uh, but you're right about, I don't know. We've had so many great storytellers on this show, but he's right at the top, man. And, you know, for yes, good reason. Is. I mean, between his on the field and off the field stuff, uh, Super Bowls, Hall of Fame. I, we could go all night, uh, you know, 12 times we've spoken with him. And let's just hope there's another dozen uh, coming yes, up. Absolutely. All right. When Bob and I come back, we'll be turning on our Thursday night tailgate spotlight on the positive here. Two more great stories about guys doing great things in their communities. We'll do that right on the other side of this real quick station break. 